You're listening to an episode of Voices of 100%, where we're speaking with local leaders from across the country to understand their reasons for pursuing a 100% renewable energy goal, how their city plans to achieve that goal, and what these visionaries see as the future of local renewable energy. While dozens of large U.S. cities are making commitments to reach 100% renewable energy, fewer small communities have also made the pledge. If any small town should lead, it seems appropriate that Abita Springs, Louisiana is among the first. Legend says that its water has medicinal qualities. In the early 20th century, it was recommended by physicians for its climate and pure air. Leanne McGee built on this history in her work with many local residents to win unanimous approval of the city's 100% renewable electricity resolution by 2030. We spoke in late August about the city's plans to reach the goal, starting with municipal buildings and community solar. I'm John Farrell, director of the Energy Democracy Initiative at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, and this is Local Energy Rules, a podcast sharing powerful stories about local renewable energy. Leanne, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, John. It's great to be here. And I have to tell you, I will preface this with saying that I've been enjoying your podcast, doing a good bit of research there. It's a, it's a wonderful resource. So thank you. Oh, well, thank you so much. And uh, I, frankly, it's stories from folks like yourself that uh, make it interesting to others. So uh, glad that we can facilitate in, in putting those out there. Um, well, let me just start with the, the real basic question, which is what is it that motivated folks in Abita Springs to want to make a commitment to 100% renewable electricity by 2030? Well, I have to say that our story really starts 300 years ago because um, the legend of Abita Springs says that the beautiful Princess Abita was miraculously healed uh, by our spring water. And shortly thereafter, a physician did an analysis of that uh, medicinal quality of the water and found it to be um, such that it created a big influx of, uh, of people coming to the North Shore of Lake Pontchartrain uh, to Abita Springs to enjoy that clean water. So then there were, you know, uh, there was a hundred years of this very buoyant um, tourism industry where people were coming from New Orleans to escape the yellow fever epidemic and enjoy our, what we call locally, our ozone air um, and the longleaf pine forest um, and that miraculously uh, clean, sparkling water. So the water here is integral to our culture. It's central to our town's identity. And in 2015, a, an oil and gas company uh, wanted to uh, get permitting for a fracking well um, close to town. Um, unfortunately, um, they, you know, this is oil and gas country. So they had plenty of resources and money at their disposal to fight against, um, local backlash. Um, but people here, even though 7% of our population is directly employed with the oil and gas industry. And of course, you know, we're Louisiana, the mouth of the Mississippi, where all the pipelines run to, um, even with all that against us, people did not want to see it here. So um, we coalesced, we formed organized groups and fought against this fracking uh, operation. And the mayor of Abita Springs personally fought against it. Um, he took them to court and we won uh, a battle. We uh, eventually lost the grander war, um, but after a test well, that fracking operation decided that it was monetarily 
unfeasible for them to continue. So they pulled out of the operation. Um, the price per barrel of oil at that time was so low that it didn't make sense for them to continue. Um, we do expect them to be back. But really, our story is about the water, quality of water and the quality of life that we have here in Abita Springs. Um, so two years later, we decided we had to provide um, an alternative to people. If we're asking them not to support the oil and gas industry, what can we give them as an alternative? And of course, here in Louisiana, it's solar power. So we, uh, the mayor was happy to sign a resolution. Uh, it was actually signed unanimously by all five council members. Um, and we're a year out of that now. Um, we're just getting our feet under us and we have a lot to learn. So one of the things that I've been curious about is in the discussions with other cities who have made this commitment is whether or not it was sort of driven more by internal decision making or outside pressure. So I'm kind of curious who was involved in in motivating folks in the community to participate. You, you know, you I think alluded already to this campaign against an oil developer uh, as getting a lot of folks involved. But it sounds like you also had a lot of support from within city government. Was it was the genesis of the idea from within the city or from outside of it? And then and then what led to it, uh, that resolution being successfully passed last year? The mayor, even though he is a Republican um, and this area is considered to be very conservative, he recognized the value of that image, that branding of Abita Springs um, with the clean water and knew that that was something that he had to protect. I think he has provided people who have traditionally been uh, very conservative in their politics to look at the importance of clean air and clean water. Louisiana is sportsman's paradise. Everybody here hunts, they fish, they go camping, they enjoy our beautiful environment. And he realized that that was a, a huge part of our economy here in Abita Springs. Um, so while he was a, trem a tremendous support and a supporter of what we were doing with Ready for 100 and still is to this day, um, I think that it allowed people who were sort of on the edge of, um, of supporting environmental causes to be heard as uh, as, uh, as conservative, you know, fiscally conservative um, voters, they were able to also support clean, uh, clean air and water and clean energy. So it provided an opportunity that really wasn't there before. Now you have a couple of electric utilities that serve Abita Springs. One is, you know, a, a shareholder owned utility, private company, uh, uh, regulated at the state level. And then you have another one that is uh, cooperative, which means that the customers are actually members. Uh, you know, how have these utilities reacted to the proposal? And, uh, you know, have you had any progress with them in, in discussing how you might reach this 100% goal by 2030? Yeah, you know, right away, we realized that we were talking about very different animals here. So our, our rural utility is small. They have um, actually 50,000 accounts. Um, but scattered over four parishes, very large um, area of land that they service. I think um, we're looking at one uh, meter per nine miles. So a uh, super, super uh, small rural electric, you're pretty traditional rural electric co-op. Um, the board doesn't change a lot. Um, they're pretty consistent in how they approach their power acquisition 
um, and do things by the book. On the flip side of that coin is Clico. And Clico, uh, as of uh, last year, radically revamped their business model. Um, they started out as Central Louisiana uh, Electric Company. And now there are, I believe, five separate entities under that name, Clico. Um, they were purchased by uh, an outside investor last year. And it sort of stymied a lot of the, uh, the conversations that we were having as a municipality with them. So we had talked to them about doing things like um, uh, EV chargers at, at Town Hall and for our um, residents in order that they could crunch some data um, about power, um, off-peak power usage and that kind of thing. We had discussed with them LED lighting um, and, of course, the bigger picture of a, of a large solar uh, array, um, utility size array. Um, but because of that acquisition, we kind of had to, you know, put things on the back burner and let them sit. Um, the one that was really difficult for me was the energy efficiency piece because, uh, you know, that's for us. As a, as a small, <laughs> very limited funded uh, project, um, energy efficiency is, is always kind of the first thing you look at. So we've been kind of waiting for them to come back on board. And um, actually right now at our Public Service Commission, there is um, a lot of, there's a docket, uh, actually two dockets that relate to us, um, but one that specifically addresses uh, possible community solar concerns and how our um, investor-owned utility would be um, involved with that. So w there's a lot happening, and it sort of uh, at times feels like a one-step-forward, two-step-back process um, in dealing with our utility. So we are balancing both sort of equally um, in uh, our commitment to working with them, um, and and seeing how things play out. So it'll it, it's. It's an interesting, um, an interesting sort of recipe <laughs> for how to get to 100% here in Abita. We also, you know, we're a very small town, uh, tw about 2,800 residents um, and less than four square miles in size. And we don't have a paid sustainability director. Um, there's nobody who's in charge of this specifically. We're all volunteers. So just moving forward in making those little steps, those tiny baby steps, um, is sometimes a, a challenge. Um, but but we're getting there, and we're learning we're learning a lot, um, which is which is very exciting to me. <laughs> I'm sort of getting to be a, an energy geek, so so to speak. <laughs> Welcome to the club. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. You're listening to an interview with Leanne McGee about Abita Springs, Louisiana, as part of our Voices of 100% series from Local Energy Rules. Do you know of any folks we should interview about 100% renewable energy commitments in their community? If so, send us an email at voicesof100 at ilsr.org. That's voicesof100 at ilsr.org. Stay tuned for the rest of this episode after a short message from our Energy Democracy Initiative Director, John Farrell. Hey, thanks for listening to Local Energy Rules. If you've made it this far, you're obviously a fan and we could use your help for just two minutes. As you've probably noticed, we don't have any corporate sponsors or ads for any of our podcasts. The reason is that our mission at ILSR is to reinvigorate democracy 
by decentralizing economic power. Instead, we rely on you, our listeners. Your donations not only underwrite this podcast, but also help us produce all of the research and resources that we make available on our website and all of the technical assistance we provide to grassroots organizations. Every year, ILSR's small staff helps hundreds of communities challenge monopoly power directly and rebuild their local economies. So please take a minute and go to ILSR.org and click on the Donate button. And if making a donation isn't something you can do, please consider helping us in other ways. You can help other folks find this podcast by telling them about it or by giving it a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The more ratings from listeners like you, the more folks can find this podcast and ILSR's other podcasts, Community Broadband Bits, and Building Local Power. Thanks again for listening. Now, back to the program. So you alluded to, in in the conversations you're having with utilities, some of the things that you're thinking about, you know, LED lighting or electric vehicles or community solar. You know, is that are, are there other strategies that you've been talking about, about how the city would get to 100% either you know, from a policy standpoint, you know, things that the city could do by itself, or is it mostly focused or a state level policy, or are you focused mostly on kind of what it is that uh, you could get agreement with on the utility about things that they could do? Well, all of the above, really. Um, and that was what our first year was about, um, figuring out what what we were dealing with and and how to move forward. So, um, yeah, a little bit of all of the above. However, I think if we've condensed um, it down specifically to community solar as being right for Abita. Um, we're currently engaging the co-op uh, on a discussion about uh, uh, community solar. Um, and that would be a project that is visible that is local and that provides um, educational opportunities and, and, you know, again, that visual um, which helps people see that we're moving forward. Um, A lot of what we do is sort of in the background. And uh, I think the public likes to see that there is movement afoot to get there. Our resolution specifically addresses our municipal buildings um, as being that 100% goal for 2030. So that is five, uh, five buildings and 16 lift stations. Um, we're currently redoing our entire septic system. And so those lift stations will be, you know, we'll need to put those off a little longer before we can address those specifically. Our municipal buildings are all under, uh, in progress of devising a plan for each of those. And they all look different. So, for instance, Town Hall, we are uh, leasing panels from a local installer. Um, the trailhead may install um, on its own um, with a, it's a very small building. Um, and then the three other buildings, you know, each have their own sort of um, issues to address. Abita Springs is a historic town. Uh, so we have historic guidelines, which we need to follow for all of our historic buildings, which essentially the entire area. Um, that means solar panels not being visible from the street um, uh, or not on the building at all. Um, and then, of course, our beautiful trees. We are in Tree City, USA. We're very proud of that. Um, we have a strong tree uh, permitting process and ordinance, and we don't want to, uh, we don't want to mess with that. Uh, we're certainly not encouraging anybody to cut trees in order to have rooftop solar. So 
those kinds of issues led us to community solar as being the right the right place to start um, locally in town. So just to clarify with the goal, you know, you mentioned the resolution focuses on municipal buildings. Is it also looking at trying to get all of the like, you know, residents and businesses to 100% renewable electricity as well by a certain date? Or is that uh, the subject perhaps of a future resolution? Well, I think we need to clarify our resolution down the road, um, specifically with some ordinances addressing addressing those issues. But the, the resolution, while it legally is in regard to those uh, municipal buildings, is a, a Ready for 100 platform. Um, and because of that, you know, the Sierra Club's Ready for 100 campaign is clean energy for all. And it's important that we address the need to find a way to bring clean, cheap energy to everyone in town, uh, not just in our historic district, but on the outskirts as well. So while, you know, the resolution uh, may appear to be a little more limited, the people who, uh, who wrote that um, and who are involved in all of the steps towards achieving that our greater mission is definitely to see the entire town uh, 100% sustained um, in some in some fashion, you know. And if it amounts to seeing credits um, rather than actual uh, amps, you know, that's okay. Um, we're willing to sort of to to work with it. Um, Abita Springs is growing by leaps and bounds. So after Katrina we were inundated by a large, you know, influx of population that looked very different than what we had originally here. Um, And we're needing to decide what the future looks like. Um, And certainly there are a lot of new uh, um, housing developments cropping up around the area. And that has opened people's eyes to the need for a master plan um, in Abita Springs. And in fact, that is one of the uh, more important issues arising as we head into the campaign for um, our council and our mayor in November, um, having a master plan and addressing the renewable energy strategy. So, which I'm you know, thrilled to see that, that that's um, at, the, at the top of everybody's radar. Um, so there's, there are a lot of angles. Again, um, we are every day sort of reassessing what, what our particular recipe looks like. So you, you mentioned this in the answer to your previous question about kind of how you might bring this to everyone. I'm curious, is there a specific focus, for example, on like how low income customers of the electric utility would be able to participate? Like, for example, in this community solar project you've been talking about? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, community solar is going to be such here that we get buy-in from, uh, from member owners um, early on. Um, so that's, that's kind of what we're doing now is amassing a list of people who are interested um, and trying to crunch some numbers so that they can, you know, we can honestly say we're looking at one or two dollars extra on your bill every month. Um, we, you know, that's important. That's important right up front to do that. Um, Abita Springs proper um, is such that most of our marginalized communities are, are really that. You know, they're really sort of on the other side of, of our town limit um, in unincorporated St. Tammany. 
um, Abita Springs tends to have pretty high um, a, a pretty high cost of living, and so people who are of a um, low to middle income bracket tend to find housing right on the outskirts of town. So, you know, that's also been a, sort of a conundrum for me: how much to address those um, those groups? Because while that's close to my heart and close to the mission of Ready for 100, it also falls outside the boundaries of you know, of Abita proper. So we, we want to make sure that we are addressing um, that issue and finding the best way to, to sort of move forward on it. Um, but certainly community solar is one model that addresses um, the need to bring clean energy to um, not only low income, but people who are living in um, shared housing um, and smaller housing communities. Um, so there are a few specific areas in town that, um, you know, that seem more appropriate um, in implementing a solar garden size um, array. And, uh, and, you know, again, we're, we're just sort of taking baby steps to get there. So, you know, I'd like to wrap up by just asking you if you have advice that you would offer to other communities, particularly small communities uh, that are interested in um, what clean energy could mean for them, what renewable energy could mean, and, and how they might go about, you know, setting a goal and, and starting to make progress on, on reaching it. The Sierra Club's Ready for 100 campaign worked out really well for us because they offer that upfront technical support. Um, they would uh, initiate media campaigns for us, the the social media and, and outreach, um, swag, lots of support for events and education. That was invaluable for our community to get started. So I would suggest that uh, that small communities start there. Um, <clears throat> and then, you know, also do a good bit of research uh, beforehand to see what your, uh, where your energy is coming from and you know how it gets there, and what the utilities, how the utilities feel about it. Um, we're finding that you know in Louisiana in particular, the it's it's a pretty complicated mess of um, all the entities involved in creating energy um, and transmitting it, um, and and who's responsible for what. So you know you you may not find any answers, but being aware of all those. Um, sort of blocks towards progress is uh, is a good you know groundwork to start from. Um, we found that uh, we had a lot more support outside of the state. Um, I get calls every day from people all over the world um, who are interested in what we're doing, want to be a part of it. Not only in installation companies and um, and third parties that want to help us facilitate actual projects. The people who want to write about us in um, in articles and in books, um, people who want to study us. We have uh, master students who want to come and do projects in town um, because we have done what nobody had done before. This has been a state that had not um, discussed community solar, that was wary of bringing up the topic of solar energy in general. You know, it was always very touchy, and it still is. Uh, to bring to bring up that topic, people are um, ingrained in the oil and gas industry. Uh, they don't want to rock that boat. And until we can prove to them and show them that renewable energy is on an even keel financially, or um, you know, now we're seeing it is less expensive than traditional fossil fuels, people are reluctant to 
to be to come out in support of it. So we're just starting to feel the love locally um, and hear from our local representatives who are saying, uh, you know, you're doing a great thing and I support you. It's been a long road to get here, um, but we do have some traction at this point um, with policy and with state re- with state regulation. And I, I just really hope that we can keep that ball rolling um, and get there. You know, we have we have 12 years, um, and it's it's not only entirely possible; it's it really is probable that we will make it to 100 percent by 2030. Well, I love that optimistic look at it, and I think it, as you said, uh, you know, the economics are in the driver's seat in a lot of ways here that are helping uh, communities all over the place. Uh, take a more serious look at this, uh, but um, not without the local leadership and organizing of folks like yourself. So, Leanne, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today and to help share the story that uh, hopefully can uh, inspire other communities to do something similar. Oh, you're very welcome, John. Thanks for giving us the opportunity. This is John Farrell, director of ILSR's Energy Democracy Initiative. I was speaking with Leanne McGee from Abita Springs, Louisiana, about her community's commitment to 100% renewable energy. For more information on which cities have made the 100% pledge and more about the challenges and opportunities of community solar, check out ILSR's interactive community power toolkit and community power map, both available at ILSR.org. While you're at our website, you can also find more than 50 past episodes of the Local Energy Rules podcast. Until next time, keep your energy local, and thanks for listening. Thank you so much for listening to Episode 6 of our Voices of 100% special series of Local Energy Rules. Tune back into the program in three weeks for our next episode in this series, where we'll be featuring Madison, Wisconsin, and discussing how the city plans to reach its 100% renewable energy commitment.